Hey, this is John Lee Dumas, the founder and host of Entrepreneurs on Fire. And if you're wanting to learn how to embrace change and navigate through disruption as a leader, then listen to the Leadership is Changing podcast with my good friend, Dennis Giannoutsis. He's prepared to ignite. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Hey, welcome to the show, Leadership is Changing. What we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant. Leaders everywhere confront similar obstacles because people are people, but everywhere you go, leaders are overwhelmed, disrupted, and under pressure. They run from email to email, meeting to meeting. Many leaders are not changing quick enough, which means they run the risk of becoming irrelevant and being left behind. The purpose of the show is taking our listeners' leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. I believe we don't have enough effective leaders in the world today, and if we get the leaders to step up and lead change, then they can inspire real change. Hey listeners, it's now time to adapt in our fast-moving world, and I want to welcome you to this episode, episode number 150. Yes, wow, it's just amazing to have a be here at episode 150. I remember not even 12 months ago, so less than a year ago, the first episode went live, which was episode 00, and then we had a few episodes go live as well at the same time, but it's amazing the journey that's been in less than 12 months. So once again, welcome to episode 150 of the Leadership is Changing podcast, and it's an absolute pleasure to bring you this episode, which is a mashup, but it's coming with two gentlemen that I'm going to be talking about very soon. But I want to say thank you. Thank you to our listeners for listening to the podcast. Secondly, for the reviews and ratings that you've given the podcast. And number three, the feedback that you're giving to me in relation to the podcast, what it's doing for you, what it's doing for others, how much you're enjoying it, people when they're listening to the podcast, and so forth. So really, it's real been a real pleasure to see that kind of feedback, and thank you to the listeners. To our guests who we've interviewed over the period of time, over those 150 episodes, thank you to you for being awesome leaders. Your willingness to help and actually provide and, and be on the show to provide people your thoughts, your war stories, your experiences that you share with us all. And thank you for being world-class and bringing together with us here on the Leadership is Changing podcast information for our listeners. To the support team, thank you to my mentors. Thank you for always being there. Thank you for helping me through where I need to go next and where we're taking things. And some very exciting things are going to come up very soon and looking forward to announcing those in the future. The production team, for your consistent, high-quality production that you produce for the show, thank you so much. And to the design team, thank you for everything you do in the artwork and everything we do around the podcast. So big thank you to all of you. And uh, team, what I'm going to ask is that you keep promoting the podcast, Leadership is Changing, to your friends, your family, your network. 
And um, if you haven't already, we'd love you to put a review or a rating on the podcast because that actually helps with the ranking of the podcast going forward. So once again, thank you to everyone who supports this podcast. So my two guests on episode 150 are actually my guests from episode 50 and episode 100. Both gentlemen, Adrian Stevens from episode 50, he's the former vice president of talent management at Hewlett Packard Enterprise, and Juru Tikar, who is from episode 100. And Juru is the president and founder of the Business Implementation Academy. Both of them share some wonderful insights and wisdom around certain things. And, and I've actually started off the, the actual mashup a little bit earlier within the interview and gone right through and left it going for quite a while for you to pick up things. Team, seriously, get pen and paper ready. There's some great insights and thoughts here. And if you haven't already listened to episode 50 and 100, I'm going to encourage you to go back and listen to those after you've listened to the mashup and got a little bit of an appetite on the kind of things that both Adrian and Juru shares with us on this podcast. All right, team, sit back, enjoy. How did you actually get into leadership? You know, it kind of started back at, at high school. You know, during the school process, we had a cadet call, sort of like play army, if I can say that respectfully. I mean, there was rank that you could aspire to attain. I figured I'd give that a shot and aspire to be a lance corporal of a section. Um, and then actually was entrusted to be a corporal. So that sort of surprised me to begin with. And it, it relished that year. It was great. You know, looking after seven people, camping, first aid, snake bite treatments, bivouacs and more. And I began to enjoy just that accountability to help others enjoy the experience. I think that was at its core. Um, and then that kind of continued um, in terms of being entrusted with more and more seniority, more responsibilities to lead platoons, companies, and so forth. And then similarly towards the end of school, I was entrusted with school captaincy. And I think at the time, I was a reluctant receiver of these responsibilities, if you like. But what I also appreciated in terms of my identity was the capacity to kind of close my eyes, take a breath, and then step into it. And then really relish that responsibility. But again, most importantly, this... Um, accountability to help others get the most out of their experiences, be it at school, or in the context of the year, what was being experienced, uh, the cadet corps, football teams, and more. And so that was really my first exposure to it. Um, and I maybe thought it was a, a one and done. I did that. And let's get out there and live life. I was into music, playing in bands. I never aspired to be a leader per se. But as I journeyed into compact computers in particular, um, mm -hmm. and an opportunity came up to lead a team, I, I I, you know, I actually didn't put my hand up and uh, I was questioned about that from a leader at the time who to this day I have such significant respect for. And she simply said, why didn't you? And I said, well, I've only been on the job for three months. I, and there's still lots for me to learn in my current responsibilities. I didn't feel the time was right. And she said, but Adrian, there was a couple of other people that put up their hands that started at the same time you did. I was like, really? Oh my goodness. You know, uh, would have been a lost opportunity for me not to at least have helped others more broadly. And that was yeah. a lesson learned. Don't wait. You know, um, raise your hand, reach out and at least express your interest or let people know that you have a desire to make a broader difference and to help. And so the next time a role came around, of course, I raised my hand and I was given that accountability to lead a team. I was very young. I was in my kind of early 20s, 24, maybe 25. And uh, the team, of course, were invariably in their late 20s, early 30s. And so there was an immediate natural tension point in terms of, well, hang on a second, who are you? <laughs> tell me what to do. And uh, that's what I realized pretty quickly. Well, hang on. I'm not actually here to tell you what to do. I'm here to help you succeed. You know, my job mm. is to make sure you have all the tools and the support, the backing, 
you got a place to soundboard to ideate a little. And uh, I'm someone that will, you know, make sure I'm here for you. And that began to soften that tension and build some trust. And uh, I began to realize maybe that was my little formula for success, ensuring people understand how much I care. And then I'm basically here, my job, my paid job is to make sure they succeed fundamentally. And I've, in essence, carried that through into every, I guess, accountability I've been entrusted with. So that's how it began once I, once I stepped into a, a corporate context, basically. Yeah, yeah. beautiful. And, and really quite interesting because um, I've got a couple of questions here. One is, uh, how many snake bite treatments did you have to do? <laughs> Fortunately, none in the real world, yeah. But, yeah, uh, yeah, that's good. So <laughs> I, I, I quite like what you talked about, closing your eyes and taking a breath and then stepping into that responsibility, which is really good. But I think the important thing here is as well is that um, the two questions I've got, one is, raising your hand and stepping up and doing that. How, how important is that for leaders to make sure that they're doing that on a regular basis? You know, I, I think it's it's very important because if you don't express what it is that you want, um, mm-hmm. or you don't help other others see what you have the potential to do or how you'd like to contribute, then you could miss out on that opportunity. And I think that's potentially a risk with it in terms of your own career development or in terms of your ability to garner feedback because you might miss out and be curious as to why, and then you have an opportunity to get guidance in terms of what that why might be. And it could be a lack of experience. It could be they're not quite the right timing. Who knows? But I think, again, between the feedback you garner or the responsibility you could be entrusted with, it's going to be a gain for you. So I do think it's important for people to raise their hand and uh, and clearly state what it is they feel they have the capacity to do. It doesn't always have to be about leadership. It could be to take on a new project, take a risk and go build some new product or or system, um, and that's what really grows us. It's those experiences, ultimately. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, and and so the second question there was uh, based on what you're saying, but just before, was that there seems to be leaders who do struggle, and sometimes they call it the imposter syndrome. They mm-hmm. they sort of struggle in the fact that they've been promoted to the role, and there are people there who may be more experienced in tenure in the way of being in that team a lot longer or the organization, yeah. or they may be a more of a, la- a bigger age, if I can put it that way, than the actual leader itself. And that leader doesn't have to be like a new frontline leader. It could be right through to the executive levels as yeah. well. So so what's what's one or two things you would say to somebody like that? Um, and I know your, your approach was, you know, I'm here to help you succeed, but would, would there be anything else that you would offer up to anyone else to help them succeed as in that transition of actually taking on that new role? Yeah, yeah I got some fun stories here. Based on my own experiences, you know, I feel that I suffer from imposter syndrome, you know, to an mm. extent, and I've, I've found good coping mechanisms to work through it. Um, but, uh, you know, for me, being entrusted with responsibilities, whether it was at school, and, and I guess, you know, how you interpret your environment shapes a lot of your thinking over time. And I know back yep. then I was like, who, me, what, a, a corporal? I wanted a lance corporal. Oh, wow. I didn't expect that. That's nice. Let me see what I can now do. And it just continued into my career um, in Compaq and HP where, you know, through various promotions or being entrusted with new uh, responsibilities, I was always a little surprised. And again, relative to a lot of my peers, I was relatively young, you know, 24, 25, 26. You know, I was leading a go-to-market group at 28. Most of my peers were in their 50s. And I kept saying, gosh, you know, I have to pedal fast to do this. Um, I am not good enough. I don't have enough skills. I'm having to double down all the time. And uh, on the outside, I was cool and calm. But on the inside, I was working super hard. And I sat down with a mentor one day, and they hit me right between the eyes because I was babbling on about all this responsibility at such a young age and, you know, how am I going to do it? And I'm pedaling so fast. And they simply said two things. Well, how old are you? 
And uh, I think at the time of this conversation, I just turned 30, I'd just become a director. And she said, well, what have you really done? And I said, oh, what do you mean? I've done all these amazing things. And she said, I know a lot of self-made millionaires who are 30. I know a lot of CEOs who have their own businesses who are 30. I know a lot of people that have, what have you actually done? I was like, oh my goodness. And in an instant, I thought, you have got to get over yourself, Adrian. <laughs> what you're really being entrusted with, it's pretty simple. It's quite straightforward. Why are you spending all this time worrying about whether you can or can't do something? So that helped in a way. It was a bit of tough love, you could say. I got a little sweaty at the time when that feedback was given to me. But it did create a shift that elevated my sense of um, certainty around getting engaged and spending less time worrying about whether I can or can't. Yep. And then equally, around the same time, particularly as I started taking on more executive accountabilities, I was also told, you know, Adrian, the person that has entrusted you with this title or this scope or this budget, they've done that because they believe you can do it. They mm. wouldn't have given you that responsibility if they didn't think you could do it. So why would you waste another second worrying about whether you can or can't? Get on with it and enjoy the process. And that was the ultimate shifter because I was like, oh my goodness, that's right. They wouldn't have promoted me if they didn't think I had a chance of succeeding. So let me not second guess myself for a second longer. Let's roll up sleeves, get engaged, link arms with the team, with my peers and go make this happen. And then the joy started to come back into it. You know, I was always energetic, always enthusiastic, but the genuine joy uh, showed up. And then again, that made it easier. And I think that made me a more authentic and more compelling leader too. Mm, yeah, great. No, thank you for sharing that because I think that's really good and interesting to see because I think a lot of leaders, do they do struggle with that. And um, yeah, I, I, you're right. I mean, they wouldn't have promoted you if they didn't believe in you for sure. And mm -hmm. uh, it's good. And I think that's awesome. You know, one of the episodes that's come out as well is about taking more risks uh, with talent. Sure. And I think that's really quite interesting that we see people do that and actually do take that risk as well to give people the opportunities to go out there and succeed, but also set them up for success yes. as, a, as they're embarking onto those, that different journey and that, which is good. Yep. So Adrian, this, you, you've probably got many uh, ideas or thoughts on this question here, but um, mm. who's your favorite leader? Now this person could be alive or from history. So who's mm. your favorite leader and why? Mm, I'm not sure I'm going to do you justice here, Dennis. It's a really tricky one. You know, I thought, I, you know, if I think about who my favorite leader is, how do I pick just one? And equally, often when I've reflected on leaders that I might have admired in the past, at some point in time, something happens where something is revealed and, of course, they're just human and they're flawed in some capacity or, you know, they're discredited in some way and it's so disappointing. So I've really struggled with that whole notion of, you know, what is the ideal leader? when at the end of the day, we are all just human beings, right? We have our strengths, which shine through, mm -hmm. and that's what ignites people to go pursue a goal or translate an idea into a solution or some kind of value. Um, but equally, there are flaws there. So I think from my perspective, and maybe this is where I'm ducking your question, I've always just cherry-picked those strengths or those elements and leaders that I, I valued. And if I think right. currently, I mean, the first leaders that come to mind for me now are leaders like Satya Nadella who, of course, heads up Microsoft, and the remarkable transformation he's helped engineer there, built on a cultural shift, this embracing of growth mindset on you know, the art of what might be possible um, if we give ourselves the capacity to fail a little and find ways. Um, I loved his whole notion. I think he was the first corporate CEO that I heard. It was a video that I watched where he said, can you imagine what might be possible if we could align the collective unconscious of all the team members at Microsoft 
to go pursue a vision. And I thought, who talks about the collective unconscious of an enterprise like that? It was just marvelous. So I love that about Satya. Um, you know, equally, I love what uh, you know Barack Obama kind of taught me around uh, how he managed tough situations, complex questions with humility, a steadiness, and a grounding that I felt helped bring people together. You could argue or debate that perhaps. But for me, I think that was a remarkable way of tackling tough issues. Mm -hmm. Um, And I loved his just overall approach. Oprah Winfrey, you know, the value that she's created, you know, through her work over time, I think is magnificent. And the one thing I gleaned from her, I had this unique opportunity to meet her last year. I have to pinch myself. It was fantastic. But she talked about the greatest gift we have is to validate someone. I was like, is that the greatest gift we have? What does that mean? And she just simply talked about her experience, you know, interviewing people, uh, luminaries, celebrities, politicians, leaders in their various fields, pop stars over the years. And every time she'd done that, so whether it was, and I think she literally quoted, you know, Barack Obama, Beyonce, uh, royalty, uh, Brad Pitt, uh, Beckham, there was a similar point at the end of the interview is the cameras went to commercial where every single one of them, regardless of their stature and their success, would lean and go, was that okay? Did you get what you needed? Was that, do you think that was all right? <laughs> and she was like, what are you talking about? You're Beckham or you're Obama or you're the queen, Beyonce. And she realized they just wanted to be validated. Did I do yes. okay? What Did I yeah. do a good job? Yeah. And that's when she realized that people simply want validation. Therefore, that's the greatest gift you can, can give someone. It doesn't mean you have to agree with them, their points of view, their perspectives, but you have to help them appreciate that you've heard them, you know, and yeah. to at least validate yeah. that. And I think that's, that's yeah. probably something that leaders should or could do a lot more as well, I think, Adrian, too, if they can validate mm-hmm. more with their teams and give them that just to sort of that belief as well and yeah. reinsurance. Yeah. That's right. And then, you know, popping through generations, Jay Shetty and the work he's doing to bring in a whole new generation to the work around mindsets and you know, principles and ways of living. And I'm a big uh, fan of your prime minister in New Zealand, right, Jacinda. And, uh, you know, I'm not close enough to really understand the, the direct impact of her policies and plans. But what I do know is the shift she's creating for women in leadership. Um, mm. And I know from firsthand you know, the conversations we have around our dinner table with our two young girls around what leadership looks like and what it can be and what it can encompass and the difference it can make, you know, to have, you know, someone like her at the table making decisions that shapes policies and ideally improves lives. So, you know, and what I, I guess what I like about that list I just shared, it's all very diverse, right? Culturally, yeah, uh, demographically in terms of ages, and that's what leadership is all about. It's exciting. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Fantastic list of people as well, and uh, I love it. I mean, People who simply want validation. I think that's 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 just a beautiful way of summarizing all of that uh, for yeah. sure. This show is called Leadership is Changing. When yeah. I say that terminology, Adrian, what, what does that mean for you? You know, I, I think it is changing. Um, and I also think that's, you know, the purpose of our existence, to continually change. I saw this fantastic comic strip recently of the caterpillar having a coffee. In fact, I think it was a glass of wine at a table with a butterfly. And the comics, it's the static image of them having wine together. And the caterpillar is saying, oh, my, you've changed. And the butterfly is saying, you're supposed to. <laughs> <laughs> and I just thought it was such a gorgeous lens on this necessity to transform. Yeah. Um, you know, you and I have a heritage with uh, Hewlett Packard. And Dave Packard, one of the co-founders, was known for having said, you know, to remain static is to lose ground. And I think this applies to everything in our lives as we look to evolve our consciousness evolve who we are as human beings 
and evolve the way we create value as leaders. And, you know, methodologies and approaches that might have been vibrant 10, 15 years ago, you know, command and control, perhaps aren't as useful today with the rate of change, the amount of innovation that's playing out, right. and the need for speed, in essence, where you do have mm. to tap in, like Satya said, the collective unconscious of your people, and find a way to surface all of that innocent intelligence to help shape how we solve some of the grand challenges in front of us. And a command and control, slightly fear-driven methodology that can drive strong execution may work for a period of time. But as things continue to unfold, it could put you at risk either as a leader or as an enterprise or a team or yeah. function of being irrelevant um, relative to the pace that you know your competition is working at and the different mm. ways in which they're creating value. So I think uh, for me, leadership should be changing and we should be finding different ways to engage with our people. I think COVID and the pandemic has really brought that to life, definitely here in the United States. I can talk from what I've seen and what I've witnessed, and it's yes. been clearly a challenge, but it has generated some really positive cultural shifts where mm. people really are at the forefront of focus and attention. The sense of care for team members and employees, making sure they are safe, that they're catered for, that they're able to work remotely, that there is more kindness in allowing kids or cats to come on camera um, that people don't always have to be buttoned up in suits and tie when they're on a zoom call from their home office um, and i think this is making work more human perhaps where it always should have been and again that's a change in what leaders are now expected to be able to do for their people and the importance of genuine check-ins it has to be authentic and heartfelt and maybe that's a skill not all leaders naturally have so you can see how the training development world would start to shift to to help equip leaders to do this more effectively with greater sincerity. Um, so it it's changing. I could I could go on for thirty minutes, but it's changing in many areas, and that's not to take away from the need to compete, you know, and the need to to build businesses and to make tough decisions. But I think there's a way it could be done with some some kindness, you know, yeah. and some care for the the person, so that if they are impacted, there's a lot of workforce restructuring happen happening at the moment for a lot of companies, it's not a reflection on the team member because they have the capacities to continue to create great value. It just won't be here today, but it could well be somewhere else tomorrow. And, yep. uh, you know, yeah. 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 It's interesting. And and I think it's almost like, as you say, the pandemic, it's almost like it's, it's pushed it through faster or it's almost like revealed the curtain, things being pulled back and that mask is now longer, it's now gone and it's more revealed a lot more about people and becoming more human and those who have not been that that way are struggling and um, yeah. what I've also noticed is that some organisations I've been working with, the, those who have been able to adapt and pivot really quickly mm -hmm. is because they had some strong trust or they had a really good foundation of trust yes. within the organisation. Was it perfect? No, it's not perfect. I'm not saying that. But there was a very strong foundation and they were able to use that to help pivot in a positive way to yes. move the organisation forward. So, yes, I, yes. I agree. And I think pand the pandemic has actually pushed and forced a lot of organisations to really wake up quickly and get yes. on with things for sure. Yeah. And I guess there's still a paradox in there because we've just talked about this new expectation requirement to demonstrate care. But I think, you know, one of my favorite quotes is from Theodore Roosevelt. So going right mm -hmm. back. And I think they were known for having said that people will only care how much you know when they know how much you care. Yeah. Yeah. So That's paradoxically, ha have things changed in terms of what leaders, leaders should be doing or could be doing? Maybe not. But I think where the emphasis sits now, it's really bringing to light some of the things that really do make a difference. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally, yep.
Absolutely, and I think it's because it's a larger footprint too that you actually have a global, more of a global reach too because of the virtual world, and so we have a lot of that too. Juru, a massive welcome to you on this 100th episode. Wow, wow. Well, listen, first and foremost, thank you for having me. I am ecstatic. One, because it's the 100th session. This is a huge mile mark, so congratulations for uh, the amazing work, for the difference you're making. And you know what? I want to celebrate you for your consistency, man. A hundred, hundred episode is no joke. Serving the world and serving leaders. So congratulations. And I'm just honored. I, I am honored to be with you here, my friend. This has been uh, in the works for a little while. So listen, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm so glad to be here. And congratulations for all the work you're doing. Thank you. And, you know, I I know it's been in the works for a little while for you and I to get together and do this. And, um, and it's a real pleasure to have you here because I thought, oh, wow, what an awesome person to have on the 100th episode. And the way it's just worked out, it's just been brilliant. And I'd share a little bit with our listeners about your background. And you talk a little bit in your in your actual introduction, well, the, your bio, and a little bit about your the way you grew up and through a life of struggle. Tell us a little bit more about your background and how it was for you as a as a little child, then moving into adult hold and then onto into the US. Sure. Oh, well, thank you. Once again, you know, it, it's a joy and it's a it's it's. I'm really honored to be here. Listen, I I grew up in Kenya and I grew up in. Uh, I I joke around and I say we were upper poor, which simply means we were just above the threshold. Right. We, mm-hmm. we we survived. I I was born to a very young mother. My mother was 17 when she gave birth to me. And basically, I moved from my mother um, straight to my grandmother. And my grandmother became my mother. My grandmother right. was older. She was a summer stress for the uh, council, the city council in uh, Nairobi. And we she... She did her very best. At her old age, she she worked every day and took me to school. I went to a you know basic council school, and and there were really you know there were three pivotal women in my life. There was my grandmother, there was my aunt, and there was my mother. Those were the three women that really shaped my life. And while we didn't have much financially, there was an abundance of love. There was an abundance of three women that taught me leadership from the very beginning. There was an abundance of three women who taught me that I was more than my environment, that I could live outside my current conditions and circumstances. So they shared, you know, the little that we had, uh, I, I, I joke around and I say, my mother taught me adventure. I, my journey to America was nothing more than my, what my mother taught me. I've traveled the world from, from, the, from the sidling of a woman who did the same. My aunt taught me the basics of making my bed, learning how to cook, the survival things that I that have kept me in the world. You know, my grandmother taught me family, taught me God, taught me what it really meant to. She taught me relationship. Now, my life really changed uh, at the age of of seventeen, actually eighteen. In Kenya, we do a national exam that qualifies you to go to university. Mm-hmm. And on that morning we started, I lost my mother. Now, here was oh, the, the morning other, of the exam. Uh, the morning of the exam. I literally wow. woke, I woke up and went to school to do my, my first paper and came back home and my mom had passed away. Wow. So I went to school, a guy who decided he wanted to come to the U.S. to become a pilot. I, I wanted to do so many things and I came back that evening and I did not have bus fare to go to school the next day. Mm. And that was the first shift. A year later, my aunt passed away. 
she had been unwell for a little while and she left five kids. So here I am 19, lost two important people in my life and I just inherited five kids. Youngest was four years old. So not only have I become now a father, a provider, two years after that, my grandmother passed away. So in a span of four years, everything that I knew, Dennis, as, as life or structure had disappeared. Now I was an only child. And now I have five kids to bring up. And, and so I really moved on, you know, really. And, and I jump a lot of journeys of struggle, of providing. You know, we barely had school fees. Uh, I, I went back home when we couldn't afford it. But all through my life, Dennis, I was always a leader in my crew. And I was always an entrepreneur. I have sold from doves to rabbits to everything. <laughs> I was always the guy. I was always the guy who knew that you know. Now that I had a soccer ball, I, I could charge a fee for those who didn't have it, so I could make some little bit of money. So I was always an entrepreneur, and that's what saved me when I lost my family. I immediately became an entrepreneur. Ended up working for somebody who had a freight forwarding company. Within a little short while, I. Ended up starting my own company. And Kali, I'm 22, 23, and I was making more money than my entire family had ever made. I was freight forwarder for the big national companies and, and nonprofits and diplomatic missions. And, and so I was, you know, and really, I, as I share this, this was really my own personal growth and my own journey. And mm-hmm. here I was, I was a rich, poor boy. I had, I, read all, the boy. Wow. I, had, I had all the trappings of money. I could dress. I could belong to the golf club that I only wished I could have gone to. I could drive the car that I wanted to. But I, I did not know what it meant to actually have a relationship with money. Right. Yep. I did not know what it meant to be mentored. I, I sat in circles of people who would have made me billionaire. But I did not understand the relationship of what it meant to be mentored. Mm-hmm. I did not understand what it meant to be in a group and not be the smartest. And yeah. so, you know, that journey went on and, and I met one guy. He was, he was, he, somebody had invited us on a, on a maid, uh, it was a maiden flight into Sudan. And I met the, then the CEO of Kenya Airways and he was a, he was a Dutchman. And he's the first guy that I actually experienced great leadership so close that he convinced me immediately. It took me two years, let me not say, it took me two years. And I decided that I actually wanted to learn from this guy and I sold my business. And he, I got an opportunity to go and work for Kenya Airways and that was my first mentor. That's the first person who mentored me. And what, what age were you then when you, when you discovered that? I was probably 25. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So you've actually had, you know, like uh, quite a, a, a few years there with some money and some success and so forth. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But as well, you, twenty five, twenty six. Yeah. But as you said, yep. yeah. And as you said, it wasn't. It was you had people in front of you, but you just didn't realize the actually the understand the relationship there and how that could actually help you to go on to other levels until absolutely. you were ready, uh, which was later on. Yeah, absolutely. And and here 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 it was is you've got to remember that uh, my my self-worth was attached to how much I had and what I could what I could show because I had never had these things. You gotta remember I'm a guy who passed by the golf golf course on a bus. And now I belonged to the golf course. I, I was a member of the golf club. 
those two things were just a reality. And so I, I got caught by the trappings of the little money. And so I thought that was what was money. And I thought that was what was leadership. And the more I had, the less happy I was. The more I had, the more empty I was. I walked to the walk, talked the talk, dressed the part, but completely empty. Yeah. Wow. And so what an amazing background you just shared there and, and the experience and that journey, what you what you went through, you know, um, two important people in your lives gone. You've inherited five kids, 19 years of age, yep. and then you go on to as an entrepreneur because you knew that you had to do things. And the first time I met you years ago in the United States when we were there together, the first time I met you was I, I just saw you with this presence there, a guy, strong guy, knowing, but what what I still remember today, and even as I think about you today, your shoulders, it was like, this is a guy whereby he can carry a lot of load on him. And I'm sure mm -hmm. during at times, it's not easy for you to carry a lot of loads on you. But I think you as a change person, you've experienced so much change in your life, even when you're at 19 years of age and so forth, and what was going on for you. And even today, you carry that load on you. And I know that you are a, a, a special person who can actually help others go forward as well, which is which is really, really, really quite cool. Well, thank you, thank you. Yeah. Thank so, you. how did you? How did? How did you? I mean, you've, I think you've actually answered the question a bit about how you got into leadership because you know you've talked about that, those stories. But is there anything else you might want to share about how you oh, got into? I, I, I got to tell you, this is very, this is very interesting. So, I'm I'm in South Africa now, and you know, then I was you know flying everywhere, and I was you know this little big shot. And you know, when you're when you're traveling around, you go to the airport and you buy books, right? You're supposed to mm -hmm. look smart. So, I bought a book called The Twenty One Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. Uh, yep, which I, I had never read. So, I am now. 27, 28, 29, the last book I read was when I was 18, when I was getting out of high school. And one night, I'm in Santum, Johannesburg. It was a Friday. I picked that book. And I sat with that book, Dennis, and I could not sleep. That was the first time I actually realized, after reading that book, that there was actually this whole concept of leadership, and it could be learned. Because up yeah. until then, I, I had been a positional leader. I, I led by my position. I led by my authority. But this, mm -hmm. for this first time, I actually picked up this book and I said, my God, I want this. So this is what, what happened. Three months later, I quit my job. And I decided I was actually going to come to America to seek the author of this book that I had never seen. This is the first book I had read about leadership. I was seeking a guy called John Maxwell I had never met. I was yep. embarking on a journey that I had no clue. I'd never been to America. I did not even know what to expect. So I took my little savings that I had at the point in time, and I, have, I had a daughter back home, so I left the money there, and I embarked. I left Kenya with $1,000. I went into London, went into a travel agency, and I said, I would like to buy a ticket to Atlanta, Georgia. Why Atlanta, Georgia? Behind the book, it said that John Maxwell had an office in a place in Atlanta called Duluth. And I said, I'm going there. Crossed, I came to America, suitcase, a Bible I had never read, the 21 Refutable Laws, $749, seeking a mentor that I had never met, on a journey I'd never been, to a country I'd never been, to a city I'd never been. Amazing. And, and, and Dennis, in... In that pursuit, I come in and golly, 
my first, I mean, literally when you come to the airport in Atlanta, right across the airport, there's a Best Western. I mean, then I checked into the Best Western, paid for a week. And that was Welcome to America and took a train the next day and, and all that stuff. And, and it was a journey. And he, really to share this with you is in under a year, Dennis, I was cutting grass. I was working for, for a landscaper to put food on my table. You got to remember, I was flying first class a year ago. Yes. I had a driver, a pool, a swimming pool. I mean, I, I, had, I had the trappings. And now I'm cutting grass, pursuing a dream that I have no idea what to do. But that's the first time, Dennis, I met me. That's the first time I'd begun to learn how to lead me. I began on this journey of discovering myself. That and is that is awesome, huh? <laughs> it it was, and my I I was so broke I couldn't even afford the leadership books. Let me tell you, I would go to the bookstore. It yeah. was seventeen dollars, and I couldn't afford it. So you know what I do? I'd open the leadership books I was reading, and then hide them and take and go and hide them in the section of under cookery or technology because when they arrange them, I, I can hopefully come back and find the book the next day. Yep. Yeah. Fast forward nine years to date. Now, I, be, I went to John's office and my first leadership books were in his office and I went in and there was nothing. They would make me pack books for conferences and they would give me the you know one book and I'd go in. That was my first journey of leadership, of learning and growing. But I knew there was no going back. There was no way that I was going back. It was easy for me to go back to Kenya and get a job. It was easy for me to go back to the environment I knew. It was easy for me to go back to the same crowd of people who I knew. And in that case, that was my comfort zone. Isn't it, isn't it interesting how it is easy to go back to our comfort zones? And for a lot of people, they don't want to go out and do what like you've done, whereby they've gone and risked everything. They've gone and said, okay, I don't have much. and Let's go and do something and pursue that dream. Yep. And they don't follow it. They don't go ahead and do it. And then what they realize is, oh, it's so much easier. Well, it's not easy. It's just the comfort zone, right? And so I can go ahead and do that. But you've just got to really acknowledge you for what you've done and, and how you did that. And, and you know, getting there to the John Maxwell office, I, you know, which is just fantastic. I've just got, listeners, I've just got this smile on my face just listening to the story here uh, that Jura is sharing with us in relation to it. And, um, yeah, it's fantastic. So the question I've got you for you now, and I don't know whether yeah. this, who's going to be. Now, this person could be alive or from history. Who's your favorite leader and why? Oh, wow. They are different leaders. I, I think right now for me, when I look at um, in the realm of leadership, I, I have to say John Maxwell right now. One, because not only have I had an opportunity to see him, to see his impact, but I've also had an opportunity to see him evolve, hmm. you know, being a part of, of the John Maxwell team as founder members. But, you know, just being in that whole part of him coming from just understanding, you know, self-leadership to, to team leadership and understanding success and then seeing significance where he's now impacting worlds and countries. That for me is, is, is why I pick him. And why I pick him is because that's practical leadership. A lot of people talk about leadership and positional and and in a world where today we are, I don't even know whether to call it deficit. I mean, we are anemic to leaders and leadership. We are we are at a place where we have glorified the worst of leadership. It's it it is so refreshing to see somebody like him 
who's leading people. And, and I think, you know, leadership is nothing, you know, as he's taught us, it's leadership is influence. And watching him seeing the impact that, that has, he's had in the global world excites me. In the world of um, business, uh, you know, I, I'm, I think Elon Musk is, is pretty uh, interesting. I, I like people who are unconventional. I like people who are willing to put their stake in the ground and try something that has never been tried. And, and you like him or not, you know, they, somebody said it to me, you know, like me or hate me, there's no money in between. Right. Yep. <laughs> so, but I like the fact that here was a guy who was willing to go into a world and, and change the direction on how we look at climate today and look at how we're looking at energy. So there are probably two people that I um, I really, I really admire. Yeah, and I, I agree with you in, about both of them. And, you know, with John as well, just to see him, how he, it's almost like he just cuts the noise out of what's yep. going on around the world. And he's in there to do, as you said, the practical leadership stuff and teach people what they need to do as leaders to get on with that rather than, you know, doing things and getting stuck in the in the in the weeds, if I can put it that way. That's true. And and here's what I think, and I love what you just said, that he cuts the noise out. I, I think you cut the noise out when you're a leader who's on a mission. Yeah, sure. Sure. He, there's no doubt that you when you're in his presence, you do understand that he is on a mission. He's out to achieve something. So if it doesn't fit in, then it falls out. Yep. And I, I love that you point that out. And I think that even if you think about your story as well, where you just said before, there was no way of going back, no way of going back to that easy, that comfort zone, right? So that was also cutting that noise out and knowing there was no way to turn back. So if you can cut the noise out and you're on a mission, and I know you oh, yeah. still are on a mission, then you're, you're just going to keep going forward, which is what Elon Musk is doing too, right? I mean, he's on a mission and yeah, yeah really important stuff for sure. Uh, and I got to say this, you know, when we think of leadership and, and I get, you know, that when John, this, it took me nine years to have an opportunity to actually learn from John. And the day he opened the John Maxwell team, I only had a thousand dollars between me wow. and anything. And it was $5,000 to get in. Yep. I called and begged my way through and they allowed me, I was the only person who joined it on a payment plan. <laughs> now, when, when when you tell me, when we wow. went to the first event, yes, this is when we went to the founders event, if I had lost a dollar, Dennis, I would not have gone back home. I didn't I, I could only afford one meal. When we went out for breaks, I would walk out, it was in West Palm then, I would walk out and go to the next two other hotels because my stomach was rumbling in how hungry I was. But I I there, there was no going back. Now, when you tell me later on that I have shared the stage with this guy uh, numerous times, I have had an opportunity to be mentored by this guy. I've had an opportunity to introduce him on stage numerous times. You want to tell me that dreams are not possible? Yeah. When you, I mean, when you make up your mind, when you, say, when you cut out the noise, when you say there is no going back, anything is possible. It doesn't matter. My story could be different. Uh, everybody else is living with something different. And it doesn't have to be that you, here's what I know. I had to cross continents to believe in that. Most mm. of us have to cross the continents between their two years. Yep. Yep. That's beautiful. That's, that's beautiful. It. Yep. 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 Oh, that's that's wonderful. And listeners, you know, what's holding you back, listeners? I mean, just think about it. And Jura is just sharing this wonderful story here and how he's gone on that journey then to meet with John Maxwell. John Maxwell, a beautiful speaker, great author, and a, and a wonderful man. And just being able to hear him go through the journey. And I was there with him 
with Juru and John Maxwell at that first founders meeting. And, and um, you know, you're there in your own little bubble, if I can put it that way, at that event and things like that. And you think about, oh, certain things. But there's other people who are there who are going through more, who actually gone ahead and actually go, oh, what's the word I want to use? So not sort of the, the striving, everyone's striving for the same thing, but for others, they've paid a bigger price and they're still paying a bigger price. I'm not sure the word that I'm looking for there, but... Um, yeah, well, I think we all... Here's what you, I think here's what you're trying to say, Dennis. Um, everybody got to pay a price. Yeah. It just varies, right? For some people, it's... But everybody's got to pay a price. And I think the lesson behind this is if you want to be your best, if you want to have the, the impact that you want, if you want to live a life that that is meaningful, if you want to look back and say, hey, you know what? I left it all. You got to pay a price. Yep. Yep. I mean, think think about this. It's been what almost what eight nine years. Yes. That we got to, we got to meet at this particular event, and and you want to know the beauty about it. Some things for me is 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 the quality of the life. I get to meet you, Dennis. Yeah. I get to have this conversation with you years later, and and I and this is what's very interesting, listeners. I may not speak to you every other day, but every time I speak to you, it sounds like it was yesterday. Oh, I agree. Me too. Exactly like that. So and I, like um, I know that even when we're messaging each other, we call each other brother. And um, and I mean it from the bottom of my heart. Me too. And it's like, you know, if we're in if we're in somewhere and something is in trouble, you're in trouble, I'm there. It's just the way it is. And yep. that's just, uh, just a beautiful thing to see. So cut the noise out, especially yep. when you, you tend to cut the noise out when you're on a mission team. And listeners, what mission are you on today? And what can you do today? And what are you, I wouldn't say sacrifice, but what price are you willing to go and pay to go ahead and do that? I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about what are you willing to go and step up to do, go and chase that dream that you want and uh, get uh, get underway. Yes, your coffee may not be warm enough to do or hot enough today. I get all that. But it comes down to the fact, how big is your why? How big is your dream? And uh, it's really important. So, Juru, the show here is called Leadership is Changing, and sure. I'm loving this conversation uh, with you. The leadership is changing. When we talk about that, what does that mean for you? Uh, well, so I, I want to look at it from two, two, two perspectives. Um, one, I want to start from a personal level. Um, if you're not growing, you're dying. Yep. You're not in the leadership game. If you're not growing, you're dying. <laughs> and that means investing in yourself, investing in your growth, investing in listening to podcasts like this, surrounding yourself with people who are going somewhere. It means that you are doing the, the, the inside work so that you can show up and show out as the right leader. If you're not doing that, leadership is leaving you behind. Leadership is changing. Mm -hmm. no, number two, I want to talk about it from a leading perspective. I think the era of authoritarian is gone. Today, you lead people. You lead mm -hmm. people, one, by example. You lead people by connection. You lead people by understanding people where they are. The greatest leaders of this next generation of our time are going to be the people who are going to listen more and talk less. Leadership has changed. The days when you told people to face left and they all faced left is long gone. 
people are, are smarter, people are more educated, people are more exposed. The internet has made it a level playing ground. And so people can see good leadership across the board. You know, when you think even in the political world and think about the evils that you're seeing in some places, it's because of, of people are seeing different. People, mm. people have traveled. People are now going back and saying, oh, well, this doesn't fit. This, this doesn't work. Great leadership rises to the top. And, and it's exposed. So the days when, when you are a positional leader where you led because of, of, of what you can do and what you think you have are gone. I think those days are gone. So I, I think if you want to position yourself for the future, you got to be growing and you got to be relating to people. Yeah. Yeah. Too right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think so. And I love it what you say. The successful leaders of the future are going to be the ones that listen more and talk less. And yeah. I think that's just so powerful, just with that, what you're sharing there as well. Hey, listeners, I hope you really enjoyed that mashup and wonderful insights and thoughts that both Adrian and Juru have shared with us here on this episode 150. Team, just want to say once again, big thank you to the listeners, to our guests, to the support team, and to Mary, my partner who's always with me, my rock who's there to support me and give me all the support that I need in making this show a success. A big thank you to you as well, Mary. And of course, listeners, what we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant. Change is incredibly scary, especially with the unknown and the unfamiliar territory. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing. Hey, look out for the episodes as they're being released. Download them, have a listen, put a review and a rating. Feel free to share them with your friends, your family, your network. Hey, if there's any feedback you'd like to give me on the show, or if there's any questions you have for my guests as I interview them, or if you have a question for the Ask Dennis Freestyle episode, which happens once a week, then send me an email, dennis at leadingchangepartners.com. Hey, listeners, if you haven't already checked out the Facebook group or the LinkedIn page, Leadership is Changing, come along and join us in those communities. We would love to see you there. All right, thanks for tuning in on episode 150. And uh, please go and celebrate with us. We're looking forward to hearing your stories of success going forward. Until next time, bye for now. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world. 